for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. It's another feel-good Friday. It is April 15, 2022. And today's guest is Matt Zoll, and we are talking about public land turkey hunting. All right, welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today's episode is 211. And before you turn off the dial... When I said public land turkey hunting, I know it might not be the most exciting thing, but I love to turkey hunt. I do know a lot of people listening love to turkey hunt, but this is a good listen. Now, my guest is Matt Zoll. He's a Michigan guy from over on the west side of the state. He's hunted a lot of public land turkeys, and um, this is a good conversation. We we touch on some really good, valuable information on here, and, and honestly. I'm not an expert turkey hunter by any means. Honestly, I feel like I fall in between that like below average turkey hunter. I can call turkeys. I can kill turkeys. Um, I feel like I get lucky a lot, but I love to turkey hunt and I love to like just get better at it. So Matt's a way better turkey hunter than I am. And I thought this was a really cool podcast just to hit on a couple things that we talk about. We talk about locating birds, um, talking to birds on the roost. When they're on the roost, I one thing I always struggle with is like, how much do you talk to them, you know, and and uh, what do you do? And every scenario is different, but I mean, ultimately, reading that bird's mood and you know how much that bird is talking, or you know, if he roosted the birds the night before, we talk about roosting birds and putting them to bed, and and uh, you know get into a little bit of decoy setups and calling and stuff like that. So this is a really cool podcast, but um, good talk with Matt. And I'm going to leave that there. I do want to get into some partner reads here real quick before we go any farther. Uh, first and foremost, we got Helix Broadhead, Helix Broadheads. Talk about them every week, guys, multiple times a week. These things are awesome they really are i cannot wait to you know i haven't decided if i'm gonna turkey hunt with a bow yet or not i got a gun out the last couple years and turkeys are just meant to be shot in the face with a shotgun but 
there's something to be said for killing one with a bow. And uh, I'm, I'm, I really want to do it. So we'll see up in the air about it, but I will be running a Helix. So if you guys want to know more about that, go to their website, helixbroadheads.com. Also, Novix tree stands. Go check out some awesome mobile tree stands. Very comfortable. I love the Hilo personally. Can't wait to get that out this year and uh, be toting that around. So check those out at novixoutdoors.com. And, you know, we have vector arrows that's a new one that's come on i've talked about them recently um i do have a code with them if you guys are looking for new custom arrows and these things are badass uh, i have a dozen i'm going to order another dozen i have the hmrs and what you do is you go on their website vectorcustomshop.com and type in all your specs of your bow your poundage arrow length what you want for point weight and all that and it spits out an arrow to vector and they build that arrow to your bow it's badass and i have a code use fall 10 to save some money i know a couple people have used the code so far do it use it up and uh, get those arrows coming and uh, i'm going to do a video on these and put it on the the youtube my youtube channel Eventually, I'm going to have a Helix video up there, Novix video. I, you know, I just got to get time to do these, but I want to get some, get some content up there for you guys. And uh, this is one that I definitely want to get up there. So next is Exodus Trail Games. Now, these guys are running a awesome program for the remainder of the month of April. You guys are going to want to jump on this right now. Now, you can save $75 with this month's Exodus Trade-In Program. Type in code UPGRADE to save $75 with this month's trade-in program. I personally love the render, and I've told you guys this before. The cell cam, I, I really enjoy cell cams. I've got more this year. I can't wait to put them out. I, I do run just normal SD card cameras as well, but the render specifically, my favorite thing about it is battery life. Um, I put that render in there in the one acre last year, the, the first render I had and it lasted, well, I put it in there now. I can't remember the day, but it lasted like nine or 10 months on lithium batteries. It was unbelievable. I never had to go in there. And that's my thing with the cell cam. I don't want to have to go in there and keep checking it. And that was awesome. It lasted throughout the summer, through the fall and through you know, majority of the winter before it, it ultimately died. But I, that's my favorite thing about that. And I mean, it goes without saying the image quality and everything is, is badass as well. It's second to none in my opinion. And, uh, I personally just love supporting Exodus for a couple different reasons. Number one being they stand behind their products. They make a good product. And also they're, I call them mom and pop shops. They're not owned by, you know, a big conglomerate. I love that about them. Um, I love the guys that all the guys that work there, you know, they're guys that I feel like I could hang out with any day of the week in deer camp, just bullshit with them. And they stand behind their work. Exodus is a brand that was built from the ground up by a smaller shop and they have been doing extraordinary things. Another reason why I support them is because they put out awesome content and consistent content that is educational they got three podcasts they got the land podcast they got the deer care podcast and then they got trail cam radio not to mention they do 
the Whitetail Cribs and reviews and all that stuff, everything right on their YouTube channel. So go check that out. I do want to get into why they're doing this month of April upgrade thing. Let's face it. We all have cameras that are laying around that's either broken or completely worthless. I got them. I got a ton of them. <laughs> I do. Uh, thankfully, right now, for the first time ever, Exodus is opening up an upgrade program. So how does this work? Order a render on exodusoutdoorgear.com. So go there and, and order a render and use the code UPGRADE to save $75 off any Exodus render or render bundle. After placing your order, the Exodus team will send you a return label for your trade-in camera. So that junky piece of shit, they'll send you a label to trade that in. After receiving the camera, they'll ship you your full order. If you're new to Exodus, I'll just say this five-year warranty, five-year theft and damage coverage is best in class. I mean, and their customer service is second to none. It really is. I've been using Exodus Render for... This will be coming into this year. This will be my second year. It, it, they're proven. They've passed all my tests. So that's why I love them. So be sure to take advantage of this unique savings opportunity to replace, to replace an old junky camera with Exodus renders. Stop having them lay around and be boat anchors. Get rid of the damn things. As always, be sure to head over to the website and sign up for the email newsletter to stay up to date on all their announcements. And I have caught wind that they have some really exciting announcements coming down the pipeline. So for all those details and on the campaign, head campaign, campaign, head out, out wow, just tongue-tied. This read has just gone off the rails. Go to exodusoutdoorgear.com slash pages slash exodus dash upgrade dash program to save. All right, with that long dissertation and horrible read, I apologize, but we're going to get to this interview with Matt Zoll. All right, we're hot. We're back for another episode. Today is, I don't know what today marks, but I do know it's getting late, which is okay. I got good buddy Matt Zoll back on the podcast. You've been on, what, three times before? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's been at least two, maybe three. I think the last one I did was um, a year and a half or a couple years ago now from uh, some public land deer hunting. But Yeah, it's been always, a bit. It's been a little bit since you and I have talked. Well, it's also been a little bit since I've... Uh, since I've killed a nice big buck, so that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, well, we we both have excuses why we haven't talked, really. We've been nose to the grindstone. You've been building a house. You and I actually started, I mean, I think I started like a week or two before you did. Right, yeah, we were we were pretty close. You were the, you were the guy that I was texting all the time with a, a shoulder to cry on, for lack of a better <laughs> You're the only person that I knew that could experience exactly what I was going through. <laughs> yeah, dude. So you've been in your house a little bit now. We're actually, as we're recording this right now, we are actually moving into our house tomorrow. So when this goes live, we'll hit. We will have been moved in and living here. So I'm, I'm excited. I, I've got some still as it gets warmer uh, things to do in the outside, but the inside's completely done, and uh, I'm happy camper, <laughs> dude. Congrats. I'll, uh, you too. I'll I, I got a beer in my hand. I'll Let's cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. virtual cheers. Here we go. Hell yeah, man. Well, the last couple times you've been on, we've talked about, I mean, 
deer hunting in general, but you're a big public land hunter, uh, but you also hunt private land as well. You're a Michigan guy over in the west side of the state. Now, today, I want to, this will be the first podcast. Every year I do a couple turkey hunting podcasts, but this will be the first one for the turkey turkey tour, I guess, if you want to call it that. I'm going to steal it from uh, the hunting public, but uh, I threw something out on Facebook and I, I don't think Instagram, but Facebook and, and asked for some guys that are a lot better turkey hunters than me. Um, I can go out and kill a bird for sure. I can call a bird in, but I'm not very technical. So I want to talk to some people to make myself a better turkey hunter. And I got uh, 42 guys, <laughs> 42 guys reached out and wanted to come on the podcast. So I had to narrow it down. I can't do 42 turkey podcasts because I think my ratings would go down, <laughs> but, uh, no, you hit me up and I know you're a hardcore public land turkey hunter as well. And you've had some really good luck on <clears throat> some public land, but I think we're going to, let's center this one around public land. I mean, you've been hunting public land turkeys for a while, haven't you? Yeah, I would say I, uh, I kind of cut it. I kind of cut my teeth on public land turkeys specifically, probably eight years ago or okay. so. And I've hunted them on public every single year, multiple sits, you know, whether I'm hunting myself, calling for others, being a part of like, uh, you know, just a hunt with a, with a buddy of mine or my dad or whatever else. Like there's never not been a season in the last eight years where I haven't been bouncing around on multiple tracks of uh, public land. I gotcha. Do you prefer to hunt public land turkeys or private? So I think it's the same thing that I have. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a generalized gray area answer. Yeah. The same that I have for whitetails is there's a time and a place for both. I would say I love the advantage of being like having public land available for me to hunt because it means that I don't have to uh, screw up a private land situation. Yep. And I you can, have more area to, to roam. Yeah more area to roam and you can kind of get out and, and explore those areas. But at the same time, like there's something to be said about a private land gobbler that, you know, roost in this tree and you can set up here. Like, don't get me wrong. I've, I've killed plenty of those over the years, but at the same time, when you kill a public land bird that everybody else has the same, you know, rights, responsibilities and access to, it's a pretty cool deal. Yeah. How, uh, the piece of the public that you hunt, over on the west side, I'm guessing you're probably all over on the west side where you hunt your turkeys. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this since we talked the other night. And I think I have about seven or eight different public spots that are within about a 45-minute drive of where my new house is going to be. My previous house, it was only about a 20-minute drive. So I'm going to have a little bit more drive time, but blessed with a lot of public ground that I can um, locate birds and chase birds and they're pretty big enough to where I don't have to just go there and it's like five acres and I bugger out. Right. Yeah. Do you have any issues with showing up at parking lots in the spring and there's a lot of guys there is like the turkey hunting over there, like the public land get pressured pretty good for turkeys? For the most part, no. I would say that turkey hunting is not, has not caught fire to the big push in the public land stuff that, you know, since the guys in the hunting public have come out and, you know, basically shown like, Hey, you can, you can kill big bucks, you know, by hunting public land and Danny and fall, all those guys that are the big pushers on the public land stuff. Like you can do it. You can do the same with turkeys, but I haven't seen it catch fire. I don't know if it's because people don't, you know, 
enjoy turkey hunting as much as they do whitetails or they maybe just don't have the time. They have other hobbies or whatever else it is. For whatever reason it is, I haven't seen an area where I pull in and I'm like, oh, crap, there's a truck there yet. Mm-hmm. But it also could be locational. It could be like, oh, I'm in an area where people don't value turkey hunting or people don't do this and that and the other. I'm just – I'm going to ride the roller coaster as long as I can and, and enjoy the public land as, as much as I can. For sure. And I guess I want to start also as like, how hardcore of a turkey hunter are you? Is it like, is it something that you get just as excited about like you do for deer? So I, I will always say whitetail deer are going to be my number one. Absolutely. But how I compare my turkey hunting is I've just recently started westernly uh, pursuing elk out there in Colorado and the other, you know, big game states and hunting a turkey is like hunting a 20 pound bull elk. (laughs) Like like that's, that's the comparable level of like how you hunt those, those animals. And there's nothing that gets me jacked up more in the springtime than calling a bird and having him hammer and hammer and coming in and strutting and spitting. Like there's, if you can get a bird just that fired up, when I get that elk to commit to do that, because I'm a, I'm a pretty greenhorn when it comes to the Western stuff, still, like that's that's the comparison that I can give it to. So I, I would probably say like whitetails will always be my number one, no matter how proficient I get out west or how much I love turkey hunting. Whitetails will be number one, but you know, turkey hunting is as close to as regular occurrence of like a, an elk situation as what I can get in Michigan. Yep, I got you. So I I have a. I don't, I don't know. I used to really love turkey hunting, like love it. You know, I grew up doing it since I was 12. You know, we could get tags when we were 12 and that was the first time we could hunt. Um, killed a lot of birds. I was a big baseball player. So like in the spring you're playing baseball, you know what I mean? You're getting done with high school seat or you're playing in high school and then you're playing travel ball. So like, like, baseball kind of took precedent over turkey hunting. So I kind of lost the love of it. I still did it, but I didn't like, it didn't like fuel my fire, you know, like it used to. And then, you know, I got into the hunting industry and everything. And now it's like, I mean, it's full force. Like I always said it was like something I got excited for the week of opening day of turkey season. But like, it's amplified even more. (laughs) Like I just love turkey hunting. Um, I don't talk about it a lot. I, and I think it's because, you know, watching turkey hunting, I really can't watch a turkey hunt on TV. Uh, I can watch a hunting public, you know, episode of turkey hunting on YouTube just because I, I enjoy watching those guys. They make it look fun and they're teaching me stuff. And I'm, I'm not an expert by any means at turkey hunting. I've I've called birds in to kill them. I've called birds in for other people, but like I have a lot of room to grow, you know, calling and setups and stuff like that. So, um, but I can tell you the eagerness for me to learn and you know be a better turkey hunter it couldn't be any higher right now. I could tell you that. No, and I th- I think you hit the nail right on the head with with all that you know comment and everything else. And you know I just want to you know also <laughs> lay the record straight and just say not an expert by any means i i do manage to kill i would say out of the last 10 years 70 percent of my birds have been public land birds and um i use the same tactics on public land as i do for private land for the most part 
But at the same time, it's also knowing how to read that bird, just like you'd read a whitetail, just like you'd read anything else. And um, I'm just as eager to learn from everybody else. I got a buddy of mine who we do, I'd say 95% of our spring turkey hunting together. Uh, I also hunt deer with him as well. And that guy, I swear, like he's the reason why I'm as successful as I am at turkey hunting. His name is uh, Craig Watson, a uh, local buddy of mine that I've been friends with for about well, eight or nine years now. And that guy, I swear, he could call a freaking turkey like six miles away. You know, I, I told him the analogy the, like last spring when he called a bird in for me. And I was like, dude, you could call a freaking, you know, guy in a white suit into a you know, shitty pink pen. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, he, he's done it for me before. And, he, and, and, you know, I just sit there and I watch because from my tactics and my experience, I'm not the world's best caller, you know, world champion. Like, dude, if you if you try to listen to me, like, call with a diaphragm, I suck at it. Like I will openly admit I can call elk, but I can't turkey call, but that dude can freaking diaphragm turkey call with the best of them. Yeah. You know, and I, and I just, you know, try to learn as much as I can about like how to read into their body language and where their excitement levels at and everything else. And I think a lot of my success has come from that individual and taking it forward with, you know, where my scouting and my tactics and, you know, just you know, land identification and wilderness experience comes in that kind of makes me into that well-rounded, um, turkey hunter that I am for sure. And I'm starting to think that I might have the wrong guy in the podcast. Do I need to get Craig Watson on here. Is that what I need? Dude, you definitely <laughs> should talk to Craig Watson. If you want to talk to a turkey killer in not only Michigan, but multiple States, he goes down to Illinois. He's actually went down to Mexico to kill. Oh, what the heck is it? The, 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 the gold, gold, the gold. Yeah. yeah. So he killed that about, I think, three years ago. He went down there. That guy, I, I if you asked him what gets him more excited about, like, turkeys or white-tailed deer, I think it'd be a coin flip. So honestly. then maybe you should throw a bug in his ear and say, hey, w- you want to you wanna do a podcast? Like, Dude, I and think— And then you I, guys could just drive up here to the to my house, and we could just record one face-to-face. Dude, we could do that, and we'd have some stories. Because I kind of put that bug in his ear earlier tonight because I just let him know that I was going to name-drop him. Um and, uh, and he's a guy that's, he's no stranger to the outdoor industry. He's been involved. He's a photographer by nature, yeah. um, has done a lot of work in the industry, um, for a lot of various companies and just a really great guy. And, uh, but like, you know, proud to say he's my friend, proud to say I've learned a ton from him, not just with the turkey hunting atmosphere, but whitetails, you know, Western hunting. He's just, he's just an all around good guy. He'd be a great um, podcast um, guest. So I think you should throw a bug in his ear. I'm going to put the ball in your court. If you guys can come up here, let's do it face to face in the studio and just bullshit one night. I got an extra room here. You guys can stay here, you know, drink some beers, hang out and let's, let's crush it. I, I say, we why do don't, why, <laughs> don't, why don't we, why don't we target it for about like early to middle May after we both double up on a couple of public land birds together. That's fine with me. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll set that up. I'll shoot him a text tomorrow. Do it, do it for sure. Well, let, let's get into. You just talked about reading birds and kind of reading their moods and everything like that. And the reason why I want to start there is because I can vividly remember back when I was in high school and my dad. My dad, I don't know as much now, but like he's such a good caller on a box call. Like he will only use a box call. 
<laughs> like if a bird is working in, he'll use a box call and he knows how it's, it's an H S strut box call. And he uses that thing like crazy. Like he can, you know, purr, he can cut with it. He can, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter if the bird's coming in and he's at 40 yards and won't commit or 60 yards and won't commit. He just knows how to tone it down and get those birds. He calls it being succulent. You got to sound succulent enough for the bird, for the bird. So dude, yeah, I remember time back in high school reading the mood of a turkey. So we had this time working, just working, working, working. He was committed. We didn't, we were in the thick timber. He's coming through the timber. And all of a sudden this hen started just, she was pissed. I mean, she was coming before he was. Like, he wanted to find my dad, wanted to find this this other hen. And she's cutting him off. Like he'd be cackling at her and she'd cut him off. He'd cut at her, everything. And like that taught so much to me of like, I mean, there's more detail in that story and everything and how the interaction and everything and like how a hen works. Like, I just remember that sticks out in my head like, man, like the vocalization of these birds and what you can do with them to manipulate them to get, you know, toms to come with them is crazy. Like, it's it's unbelievable. And that was like when the, the fire started for me. Like, you can get these birds pissed off and they're going to come right into you. Like, it's it's unbelievable. Have you ever had that that instance, you know, where it's like light bulb moment? Uh, I, like, I get it. Like, this is, this is pretty like game changer. Yeah. I've, I've actually had a couple moments when you, when you bring up the whole like hen talk and I think, you know, for, you know, I, at least I'm going to speak for myself here. I'm not going to speak for turkey hunters in general, but for myself, when I was first starting to turkey hunt, I just assumed that most vocalizations, even though turkey calls were, you know, hen originated, you know, you, you're going to see a, a gobbler call here and there, but most turkey calls were going to be hen originated and you're going to get a response from a gobbler. But I think I was just so green and so novice to the fact that like hens are probably as vocal or more vocal than your gobblers are and learning how to read, like when they're active and when they're fired up largest dictates, like how you're going to respond and how you're going to call and where those gobblers might be. And I think that was one of my like big learning moments, like early on is like, Oh, you're not just the only, you know, hen in the chicken house type of situation. You're right. You're competing against all those other females, which is, you know, being a, being a deer hunter predominantly by nature prior to that, I think it's, it's just a slightly different scenario, how you're going to coax those, you know, those bucks or those toms into that, into that uh, kill zone. But then the other scenario is just, you know, you're talking about reading the bird, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but like t- a turkey's vision is next to none. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't encountered like a wild animal that has had the vision like a turkey. So being able to read that bird, are they comfortable? Are they not? Do they see something before you get that terrible putt, 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 and then it's lights out, you're, you're done, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Like being able to read that bird and where they're at in that emotional roller coaster that they go through on that, you know, every spring is just super, super critical. I definitely agree with that because, uh, I mean, we're hunting these birds when it's technically the rut, like they're rutting, you know, it's, it's for the white tail rut and those toms and male birds are going wherever the hens are. So you, 
have to be able to talk to the hens just as much as you can talk to a gobbler. Now, I salivate when I can see <laughs> two or three times in a field by themselves because, and I, my buddy Tyler has hunted turkeys with me for one spring, running and gunning, and he will attest to this. If I see a bird or at least one time by itself in a field, we will kill it. it it's, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a guarantee, but it is almost a guarantee. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that. I mean, if there's a, if there's a long time, let me guess, do you see the majority of those birds like late morning to midday? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say, you know, there, there's something magical. And again, you know, not to jump ahead of, of what we're conversing on right now, but like, that's part of my big tactic is it's like, well, if you don't strike them up off the roost, guess what? Your next best opportunity is going to be that late morning, that midday when For that sure. bird breaks off and he breeds that hen and you got that boy that's searching and looking. It, I mean, it's just like a seeking phase of the rut. hundred <clears throat> percent. Uh, dude, my favorite part, don't get me wrong. An old fashioned roost hunt, getting in tight as you can flying down, you know, getting gobbling. Like you can hear the leaves like shaking underneath of them. Like you can hear them spitting and drumming on your body. They're nothing better than that. But when we're driving around, <laughs> around, you know, 11, noon, one o'clock. And cause in Michigan, we can hunt all day. Um, we're not right. one of those States where you have to stop at one or noon. Cause that, that sucks. I hate that. <laughs> but um, I, I hate those States and I feel bad. Every yeah, time I, I do too. <laughs> Or even like Pennsylvania, like okay, on Sundays I yeah. I feel for those people because I'm like, man, that's like the one day you potentially get off in the weekend, right? You know. Well, and that's I, I get why they I get why. Well, no, I don't get why they do that. Like I understand the right. rumor that I've heard is you know because of the hens, give them time to go and you know go to the nesting and and don't booger them up. I, I understand that, but like a lot of these guys work jobs all week and even young kids that you know have to go to school and you know their their dads want to get them out if you can't hunt on sunday you only can hunt on a saturday and if you can only hunt that saturday till noon well that sucks you know well, yeah and not to get down a tangent at all but like you know you're talking about to encourage the youth of you know america and trying to instill all these young hunters like i'm going to take my son out this year um behind the house you know and i got what i would call a pretty lockdown situation where I'm going to be able to try and kill my bird this year behind the house just so I can kill it from the pop-up blind when he's watching you know he's going to have earmuffs on he's going to probably have his tablet out there like he's going to have the whole nine yards but we've been watching birds strutting in the food plot from the house for you know for the last couple weeks and I'm like buddy you excited to go out and kill that Tom he's like oh yeah let's let's go dad (laughs) and so it's like I'm excited to do that but it's like you know, maybe Saturday is not going to be a good day for it. And Sunday is, and it's like, man, I'd, I'd hate to not drive my son to want to pursue this passion right? just this day. So yep. it's like that, that's the big caveat that I have with like the selective, I'm sure they have the reasons and stuff like that. I don't want to get into, you know, all the politics about it. Nope. No, no back to side, but it's just, we come from an area, we come from a state that doesn't have that, so it's hard for us to kind of grasp and understand. Right. Yep. So I want to kind of get circle back to where we were at. So like those, you know, those midday birds, 
I grew up doing that. Like before I could even turkey up, my dad was toting me around every day. Like my uncle Jim, my dad, my uncle Bill, Jack, Cook, like all these guys, my dad's best friends. Like that's that's the turkey hunt I remember. Like we'd roost hunt, we'd take a little nap about 10 o'clock, and then we'd get in the truck and we'd just drive around the sections. And then if we see birds, they'd go get permission. If we could, and everybody around us still to this day, it's like you, you're going to get seven out of 10 permission saying yes like you can go kill them you know what i mean like there's 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 good turkey hunting like a lot of people that turkey hunt but a lot of landowners just don't care so especially in the springs exactly exactly you're you're not knocking on doors to knock on like you know mature whitetail three and a half four and a half deer habitat you're talking about knocking on a turkey that's a nuisance to that landowner yeah yeah we i like to call it we're going full regalia um, so <laughs> we, we get full regalia, we go and we find birds and, and do a little, do a little stalk on them, you know, and that's fun or try to get around them and, you know, set the decoys out if you can. Like, gosh, my favorite setup is, uh, strutting Jake over a lay down hen. Oh God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I had three times last year running to that setup, wanting to beat the living tar out of it. I mean, they come to about eight yards and it's about <laughs> beak meat from there. You know what I mean? But like, that is one of my favorite times just driving around with your buddies, windows down. It's finally getting warmer out, cabin fever. You're out doing something. You see a group of black dots in the field. Let's go get them. You know, let's go get permission and get, oh man, nothing better than that. <laughs> we, we've had it before, you know, hitting around on the, on the drive around. I mean, the, the eight spots that I said we, that my buddy and I public land hunt before, I mean, we've had it as quick as probably, I mean, I, we barely had time to get like park the truck, get it out of the way, come back up. Oh yeah. We heard, heard that bird on the next ridge over, we got set up behind this big poplar. And I mean, we, we called to that bird and he was right there. And I mean, I shot him at 15 feet and that bird snuck out of nowhere. I mean, he just was charging in. And it was that same eleven thirty or twelve thirty bird. Oh yeah, it's it's those midday birds. You know, if you don't have a solid roost setup, you're almost better off sleeping in, getting some coffee, getting some breakfast. It's almost kind of like you know, early season whitetail hunting. You know, yep. If don't if you don't have a lockdown bed location of your buck, you know, don't don't go trying to bugger in there and, and reinvent the wheel. Just try to hum on the outskirts of where you think he might be and get lucky in the evening time. And then if you get lucky, you get lucky. But I tell you what, that midday bird hunting, when they breed that hen and they're looking for love, it's, it's, it's quite magical. It It's fun. It is really fun. So let's go back a little bit to, let's talk about, um, roost hunts. So yeah. we can hunt. I mean, they move Turkey season for us this year in Michigan a little longer. We can hunt into June now. Um, yep. which is, which is awesome. I think that's really cool. Oh, um, what's that? I was going to say, oh yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. I like that. So we start on the 23rd of April this year. Um, and we go through June 7th, maybe. Is that what it is? I believe you're correct. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, it, I think that's the date it lands on this year. Yep. So let's talk about some roost hunts. So early, let's say you got the first hunt in April. Um, birds, are tending to be still like flocked up. Like you can see still in April around here, you could still see 20 birds together, 15, 20 birds. And um, let's say you roost 
birds the night before, put them, put them to bed. But you know they got a lot of hens. Like, let's say there's about, hypothetically, three times, you know, there's always a couple jakes and then the rest are hens. How are you, when you get there in the morning, how are you talking to those birds when they're on the roost? And are we are we speaking like a public land roost? Public land roost in the timber. Okay. Timber birds. Yep. Okay. Yep. Timber roost. Okay. So typically, if I'm if I'm hunting the early season, the first thing that I'm trying to do is I'm scouting probably a month before that because those birds are starting to talk. They're starting to give up their location, both you know just gobbling at random, you know feeling their oats, trying to get everything figured out. Yep. But then especially on that roost because they're trying to let those those hens know. Even if those hens aren't even thinking about it yet, they're letting them know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in this area, you know, come check it out. The biggest thing that I'm checking out in those early, early sits, honestly, if I can figure out where I see some birds, is I'm trying to, to I'm trying to look at the electronic scouting. I'm honestly trying to go to, like, HuntWise or Onyx or, you know, HuntStand. I'm trying to look at any apps that are going to give me a topographical view of what's going on. because. Okay. Turkeys are, they're kind of like a whitetail in the sense of the type of uh, topography that they that they encounter, but not necessarily. I think they're a little more subtle. Like our whitetails, you know, those, those big mature bucks that everybody tries to target, they're after that real thick corridor. They love to stay in that stuff that nobody can find them in. And if they try to find them, they're going to bugger out of there and they're going to be safe. Those turkeys, I think the at least in my opinion, they like to hide in that, you know, middle cover range where they're not so thick that they can't see stuff, but they're thick enough to feel protected. But then they love to get in that open country. Mm -hmm. So they love to have that easy transition between those, you know, maybe two or three transition zones of foliage. So I think like e-scouting on public land is going to be your, your first target that you have to do. You have to look at where a bird can transition from a roost you know, big, you know, you know, mass crop, whether it's oak, whether it's a maple, whatever it is. And you have to look for them to be able to get from that location to an open location where those toms are going to strut. They're going to look for those hens. They're going to be able to pick up, you know, food, bugs, whatever it is. You know, I would say within the first 15 minutes to 20 minutes of uh, fly down. Okay. Those, those are the big things that I look at. And those are honestly in the eight locations that I have that I, I typically target. I would say 95% of them have all the attributes of that. Okay. They have some component of it. I, I got a hypothetical. What if you don't have an open area and it's all timber? What is there another terrain feature that you're looking at that's like, yeah, this is like a strut zone, like this time can pick off some look for some hens or try to call some hens from a distance. Like is, do you have a train feature e-scouting wise that you like to look at? If you see elevation or if you can locate like a logging road or some kind of travel corridor that's already existing. Okay. There. Yep. Anything that's in the open where sound is going to carry or anything that's elevation is always going to bode well. I have a spot that I took a, a buddy of yours to kill a bird on last year and it was the same situation those birds would always end up in in a field but the sign would be all up in the timber all the time mm -hmm. and you know it's, it's just a random situation whether they want to be in the timber or whether they want to be in the field but at the same time 
if you know where they want to be and you know where they're going to generally be, you know, 99% of the time, sometimes you may have to play it a couple days and just know that you got to play it a little bit more reserved so you don't bugger them out of there. But I would say yeah, anything that's like an old logging road or anything that's like high elevation where those birds can get that, get that voice out there is always going to be a beneficial thing. Okay. It's going to, it's going to definitely be beneficial to the hunter because he can sit back and observe and he can hear if there's going to be a gobbler out there in the distance or whatever else. But also for reciprocating that call as that gobbler responds back to you, it's going to be a good situation. Okay. So let's say you did your e-scouting. You're looking for your train features, your open areas, stuff like that. Now, have you seen, let's say you're, you know, you said you're scouting like a month before within that month barrier, let's call it from opening day or, or whenever you can hunt. Have you seen birds be habitual as far as like, will they break off from a roost area where they're roosting or will they basically stay about in the same spot where they're roosting for, you know, leading up to that opening day or leading up to that time where you can hunt? Like, does that make sense? Like, are they pretty habitual in your experience or are they pretty, you know, uh, just off the wall? Like they're going to do what they're going to do. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I would say I've seen both. Um, I've seen them to where, you know, they stick tight to their roots and maybe because they haven't been pressured, maybe, maybe because they're just that much of a stickler of, of, you know, a repetition or a technique or a particular style that they're, you know, trying to exuberate on that particular day. But I've also seen just like a whitetail where you bugger them out. They might not come back necessarily like within the next week or so. They might come back within the next week and a half to two weeks, but they might be gone for a little while. So I think it it all depends and it all comes down to like you reading that bird and you knowing what type of birds and how many birds are in that particular location. For example, I mean, if you got, if you got a, a group of toms that are still kind of bachelored up from the winter, which is what I, I mean, again, this is my observation. This isn't a generalization or this isn't a, 
this is what turkeys do, but I tend to see my toms more of in groups in the wintertime when they yard up and when they winter up than when they get into their like spring flocks. So, I mean, if you got a group of toms that comes into that early season and they're starting to stress their oats and they're starting to, you know, cackle and gobble in the trees at nighttime, you know, like we'd all go and listen for roost gobbles, but they're not necessarily herded up with yet. They could definitely move because they're trying to go find those, those hens. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if those hens are relatively close, they might not shift their roosting patterns that much either. So I think a lot is knowing what type of birds or the amount of birds that are in your area or the possible like areas and locations where those birds could be. And that's going to give you a very, you know, much more detailed description of where and how you should hunt those birds. That makes sense because now I've never, I've never public land turkey hunted, but I've done a lot. I mean, all my turkey hunting has been on private land, but, or ask for permission, private land, you know, stuff like that. I've hunted on a lot of property. That's like just ask for permission. And what I see is like habitual patterns year in and year out. Like we've got, you know, a piece like a ridge, uh, actually a couple ridges on my family farm where it's like, they might not be there one year, but they're there for three years in a row. Like, yeah, that's where they're roosting. And it's, big oaks and it's the only rolling terrain in the section you know what i mean and they've got good open ag fields like within 80 to 100 yards you know what it's like the perfect circle really um but man like i've you know and, and another thing with turkeys and roosting is like i try to pick up on like are they roosting more in wet areas or more? Cause you know, they, they like to roost over wet areas or areas where it's thick undergrowth because of predators that, you know, they, they, they don't want the predators to be, you know, getting after them and stuff like that. So it's like, I see more turkeys roosting in my situation in hardwoods, um, on, on rolling topography. I do. Do you see anything like that? I would agree. I would say if a turkey has the availability to get up into a tree and has the availability to get out of that tree with a clean landing. Yes. Nine times out of 10, I would say, you know, rolling hardwoods open, you know, kind of that, the thing that whitetail hunters don't like to see with that, like, you know, they talk about the park effect, you know, wood. I would say those are the spots that I'm like trying to pick out for a roost location. If I hear a bird, like I can tell you that's, 100% 100% where my birds roost on my property. My northwest corner is a hardwood ridge. It was select cut. It's wide open. I hear them on my front porch every night. I'll go sit out there the last half hour of light. I'll sit there and I'll listen to anywhere from like three to six birds, you know, just fire up, cackle on. But I've also seen the same effects on a lot of public land. The last home that I used to own was in you know pretty close to the manistee national forest and a lot of big oak stands oak savannas and you know my first my very first public land bird i killed the very first spring at that new house and i mean i called that bird out of the out of the public land timber it took a little while but i mean i called him in and he was i think probably still to this day the biggest mature bird that i've killed but it was the same concept. I knew where those birds wanted to be. I knew where they roosted. And I just set up on that transition zone between, 
timber and open country where I knew those toms wanted to be, where they wanted to strut. And you just got to be in that place where those, you know, where those hens are going to come through and, you know, hope those times are going to come through as well. Sure. So going forward a little bit on the initial question that I had about, you know, calling the birds on the roost and everything like that. So you're going to do the e-scouting, you know, you're going to start scouting about this time, about a month ahead of, of, of season, um, trying to figure out those topography, you know, areas that they want to be where they're going to be transitioning from the roost to possibly you know a strut zone or something like that now we're at the moment of the truth okay let's say you um well first i guess let's get into putting birds to bed are you typically doing that every night if you're like getting ready to hunt that next morning are you trying to put birds to bed no not every night I generally want to know that that's an area that they want to be in. I've never come to the realization that a bird is going to be further away than maybe from where they, you know, typically reside or typically roost. Like I'm sure it exists and I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule, but non-pressured birds, I would say, want to generally return back to their previous pattern. Okay. that's the advantage I would say is in that early scouting and it's a gamble with that early draw tag in Michigan is you get a week, you know, I've transitioned from my week of season to going to a month long season because I have more time to chase, more time to pattern, more time to figure out what's going on. But I would say generally speaking, if a bird is unbuggered, he's going to want to go back to, or she's going to want to go back to that area that they feel comfortable with and that they've done the last, you know, snow melt to basically early spring where they're going to like transition back into their spring feeding zones, breeding zones, whatever it is. Yep. No, that makes sense. Um, I used to do that early hunt all the time. You know, that, that first week, like let's get after it. Now I, I, I'll bet you I'm going on six or eight years where I do the May hunt where it's all May. Yeah. And I did the same thing and you you put too much gamble. I mean, unless you're like a diehard Turkey guy that can afford to take a week of their vacation, you're taking your rutcation for um, the the spring (laughs) and and don't get me wrong. I'm not putting one species above the other, but at the same time, I, I feel my chances are pretty good from, you know, being able to kill a Turkey over the course of a month to be able to kill a mature white-tailed deer over the course of three months. But what I do is, you know, I stopped doing the, the one week, the two week. I mean, shoot, I used to go up to Alpena, Michigan, because we used to have great turkey hunting up there and do a week up there. And it just got to be so tough. And then I realized, hey, you know what? I can still kill just as many birds, if not more, over the month-long season between, you know, basically beginning of May, beginning of June. And I don't have to be like, I don't have to succumb to the weather factor. I don't have to succumb to, oops, something comes up with the kids or the family or the wife or anything like that. I have the flexibility to still be a dad and a father, but still go out there and like get the job done. Mm-hmm. No, obligations first and foremost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> family oh, family comes first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're putting birds to bed, but not not all the time. I personally... Like <laughs> I've, I've hunted a lot without putting them to bed, but God, I love to know where they're at. Like going into it, I love to know where they're at. So I try to put birds to bed every night that I can, uh, just, just to have a little bit of upper hand, but it's bit me in the ass more times than not because 
you're like, okay, this bird, I saw him fly up. There's <laughs> X amount of hens in that tree. There's a bird, you know, there's a there's a Tom here. There's a gaggle of Jakes behind him. Like, we're good. And then you sit up late with your buddies like, okay, what do we do? You break down a thousand different scenarios. It's just like deer hunting. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's like you're overthinking the shit out of it. And it's like, just go. I don't know, man. It's, you know, you don't want to get too close, but then you want to be in that bubble. Like, I, I, I love being in that bubble. It's like 70 yards. Like, I'd love to be within 70 yards of the roost for when they fly down. I'm a heavy decoy guy. I love using decoys. So, like, I want to be in that bubble when they fly down because I want my decoy to be a threat to him. Like, if you're if you're not in that 60 to 70 yard, well, 60 is a it's like 70 or 80 yards for me. If you're not in that 70 or 80 yards, it's like that gray area where it's like, ah, he's not a threat to me. You know what I mean? He's, he's not like, I'm good here. You know? Well, you talked about like, you you know, your, your roost, your roosting birds and you're doing all that jazz and stuff like that. And I think I've gotten away from my fact of, of roosting birds because I've gotten away from the fact that, you know, not to, not that I love the excitement of roosting birds because it, it does give you that like, Oh, there's birds in this, pit. this is where I can go. Not that I don't pay attention where birds typically roost and whatnot, but I typically am, am paying more attention to what birds are the most vocal in the morning and who is the most vocal in relation to like the roost that I know is established. I will. And again, this is me and my opinion. This isn't, you know, generalized turkey knowledge that I'm saying is truth, but I will generally see that those birds that don't have a close hen are going to be some of the earliest off the roost to start to cackle and start for to, sure. You know, so sometimes I'll put myself in a position, especially on public land where I know that there's a lot of areas that birds typically like to reside in. And I'll listen for that very faint early gobble. Now, it could mean I get back in my truck and I drive around and I go get into a better position. But I'm putting myself in the opportunity to be able to do so. I had an opportunity like that a few years ago and I killed a double bearded bird. I was a solo solo hunter on the state land and I got in there late. Um, the guy I was hunting with at the time um, had a, had a family obligation texting me late. I didn't get the text till the next morning and I was like, ah, I should sleep in. And I was like, no, screw it. I'm going to go hunting. And I did. It was the best decision I ever made. Like I went out there and I got out there late. I closed the truck door, like super quiet, but I could hear this one bird and he was trying to be over the top of everybody. Like he I'm was like, the early bird gets the worm kind of thing. He was, he was, he was the early bird, but he was also the, just that, that jerk, that prick. Yep. He was the one that wanted to be, and I'm like, all right, well, screw this. Like, I'm going to go to that guy. And I did. He flew down. I killed him. And it was, he, he decoyed perfect and everything went great. And it was a, you know, double bearded bird and everything went solid. But I mean, at the same time, it's just like being able to read those situations on where, where you might think that the quantity of birds are at versus like just a bird is at. So So if, if you're going in blind in the morning, then. Or even if you did roost, well, no, I want. If you're going in blind, hypothetical, hypothetical, if you're going in blind, are you listening for that first gobble, the earliest gobble, and then you're going? 
both. I'm listening to first gobble and then I'll usually give it about 10 minutes and then I'll listen to if there's any other gobbles that happen as a result of that initial okay. first getting up off the roost. Generally what I'm finding is that the birds that are more centrally located more times in a particular area, there generally is more turkeys. Doesn't okay. necessarily the hunting is going to be more poorly, but generally an isolated bird is going to be an easier target. Whether you find him midday, whether you find him in the morning. If he doesn't have a hen that he's roosted within 25 to 55 yards of, he's not going to jump down and think that it's a guarantee thing that he's going to get some action. I got you. <clears throat> okay. That makes sense because I, I've never really thought of it that way, though. I I don't know. It, it's I've never really broke it down as like, hey, that bird's by himself or could be by himself, you know what I mean? And that could be that could be the one that's like going to be a little bit easier. Now, when you killed that bird, how close did you get to him on the roost when he like how tight did you get? Super close. <laughs> like closer than I wanted to. I would say I was within 55 or 65 yards of him. Whew, okay. And he flew down and when he flew down, I could see him the whole I couldn't see him in the tree. Like it was still pretty thick, but when he flew down, I could see enough action and he worked up, I mean, right up until the clearing where I needed to kill him. And then he hung up something about decoys he didn't like. And then as soon as he was kind of like staggering back there and strutting and drumming and spitting, I heard a hen putt from behind and I'm like, Oh God, behind you. Well, no behind him. Okay. Like going to pull away. And he started working towards that hen, but his, you know, his demise was that he had to cross the two track that I walked in on and he hit that two track at about 45 yards. And I know my gun is good out to 55 at a pot bottle. So I put that bead on the top of his head and, and squeezed that trigger off and I folded him over right there. What are you shooting for a gun and a choke setup? So I shoot a super basic shotgun. Um, I shoot a, a Benelli Nova. Okay. You know, pump gun. It's a, I bought it for waterfowl primarily because drop it in the mud, whatever else, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I would always say I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades. I'm a master definitely of none. So I like to enjoy the deer hunting, the turkey hunting, the waterfowl, the upland bird, you know, whatever else. Yep. So I, I don't have the ability to like just focus in on one sport and spend thousands of dollars on a gun or, you know, this and that and the other, the Nova, the pump gun, it's, it's pretty much reliant you know, consistent. I don't have to worry about it jamming and this and that and the other. And it shoots the the federal uh, XRs. I think they are okay. the Longbeard XRs. It shoots Longbeard those XRs of Winchester or Winchester. Sorry, yep. yeah, yep. Um, and it shoots those things like solid out of my full choke, my my stock full choke. It shoots them solid. Okay. Like I said, out to that 50, 55 yards, I've patterned it before and I've never had to adjust. I've always wanted to shoot like the boss toms and, you know, a couple other big brands that are out there, but I'm like, I can't, I can't justify switching because I've killed a bird at like almost 55 yards and, you know, stoned him dead. So I think the biggest thing from like a recommendation from that point is, is just like shoot a bunch of different shells, find yep. out what your likes to shoot and whatever it likes to shoot. Doesn't matter what brand it is. Just shoot it. Yep, I'm the same way. I've shot a Remington 870 Express, you know, probably one of the most popular shotguns ever out there. <laughs> I still and, own one. 
Yeah, great gun. I love the damn thing. It's what? dude, it was the first gun I ever got when I was twelve. My dad, my mom and dad got me one for Christmas. Said it was from Santa. Um, hopefully, I didn't ruin any little kids out there. Um, but anyway, I uh, got that gun, and I a couple years ago I put a jellyhead choke in it, and dude, I mean, it rips beaks off. Like it is, I love it. I've shot a bird. The farthest I ever shot a bird was fifty-eight yards with it and you want it's that's a poke i mean people don't take vacations that far sometimes so (laughs) like like that's a poke (laughs) but uh uh, you know 50 i mean 50 and in 60 and then but 50 and in is i mean it's i know where it's gonna hit you know so good gun great gun but you need to be you need to be prepared and you need to know what your gun is going to do. I've killed them like I said at 50 55, but I've also killed them at like 5 10 feet. Yep. Like if you if you load it super tight, super full at 5 10 feet, which can happen, you might be planning on it, it's going to happen at 45 yards, but it might not. Yep. You need to be prepared to be able to take that bird at whatever distance and you need to also know what your gun is going to perform at. So, I think like you know, to hit on just, just as what everybody else does, like what's your archery equipment do? What does your rifle equipment do? All that other stuff, like your shotgunning and patterning for a bird, whether it's like turkey or waterfowl is just as important. No, I agree. I just did a podcast with Ryan Glitzky a couple episodes ago, just talking about confidence, confidence in your gear. You got to have confidence in it. And that, that, you know, goes for turkey hunting too. I mean, everything, your calls, your, your weapon, your setup, your decoys, it doesn't matter. I mean, you got to have confidence in all of it. So, no, absolutely. And I'm trying to learn more right now, talking to you and other guys. I'm 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 going to do a couple more tricky podcasts, and you know, I I just want to learn more. And I think, I mean, I think my audience does as well. The guys that you know, guys and girls that listen to this, I think they want to learn more, also. And I just like drinking a couple beers and hearing from other guys and gals about their experiences because it like like you just talked about. Here in the early bird, you know, I'm going to call it the early bird, you know, the first first bird to gobble, he's the one, and it makes sense, though, because he's the one that's like, I'm going to gobble and see where these hens are at, because I don't have no idea where they're at. Like, that's, to me, in my head, how my head works is like, that's the lone bird. Let's go get him. You know what I mean? It makes total sense. Well, and, you know, to that point, um, on like that lone bird and that eager situation, like, We've all seen that, not just with turkey, with deer. You know, one, it was a bird I killed on private land. It wasn't on public land, but we had uh, my buddy and I, um, Craig, we were hunting on a a private farm. We got permission on the day before, and we got set up, and we were on like a, it was a previously planted cornfield, and, you know, just the standard farm field edge wood line, you know, this and that and the other. And we, we knew there were birds out there cause we drive past this on our way to and from public land. So we finally got the nerve to go and talk to the, talk to the owner. He's a super nice guy, just a good old fashioned boy. He says, you know what? You boys can come out here and hunt after the first two seasons are done. When the, when the, when the month long season comes on, it's all yours. And he's, he's a pretty, I would say not, not decrepit, but I mean, he, his limitation is very limited. Yep. So we are going to give him like, and we even told him like, take as much time as you want. No, no, no boys. You, you, you guys come out here. It'd be fun. So I brought him some perch to like 
thank you very much for like like letting us hunt just sure. like doing stewardship and whatnot but i tell you what that that hunt we're sitting up in this little pocket in the middle of this cornfield he had an oak and some scrub brush and we had a we had a decoy out there and i tell you what you're talking about the lone bird we had three times roosted in this guy's property that we are on <laughs> and we're working and working the whole morning and we're sitting there just like waiting for things to transpire and they slowly work out to the field and they're so preoccupied with trying to fight each other off and then there's a hen that peels off and then they're just they're screwing around and we're just like come on and in one of those calling sequences that craig put down like i heard this bird way off to the corner and i'm like hey dude there's a bird over there and he's like yeah 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 and we both kind of just like blew it off and then all of a sudden the next calling sequence that bird was like three times as close isn't it amazing how much ground they can like, Dude, I swear we I swear we called that bird in for a half a mile. We called him in, got him on video. He mounted that Jake strutter and he was just going to town like it was nobody's business and I like rolled him over like after we filmed him for a whole bunch like but that dude he chased those other three times right off the field. That's and he crazy. wasn't even a bird. Like he, he was probably a year and a half year old bird, you know, with three quarter inch spurs or a little bit less. But he was just he was a little asshole, you know, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Even just that guy that wanted to fight and he just didn't give a crap about anything else. But it's like, you know, I, I you know, I don't think public land versus private land is all too much different. Yeah, the private land, as long as nobody's buggering those birds, they're gonna be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the turkeys still want the same particular atmosphere is what they do versus public versus private. They want that good hybrid blend between having openness and good weather where they can see what's going on. They can see who they're calling to. They can see who they're showing off for. But at the same time, if the weather's bad, they want to be able to, like, you know, get that, you know, I don't want to be trapped in. I don't want to be confined in. So, I mean, yeah, the public land versus private land, like, yeah, it definitely is different how you approach the situation, but a lot of the tactics are going to be the same way. Yep. No, I, I agree 100% with that. So next question I got is, let's say you got birds roosted, you get in on them in the morning early, you get set up, and I know scenarios can be vastly different. You know, you could be on a field edge, they could be roosted up in the, you know, oak, you know, oak ridges and stuff like that. But like in a generality, you know where the birds are at, you set up on them. How are you calling to the birds in the roost or are you calling to them? Are you the type of guy that's like, I'm going to throw out a couple yelps, let them know I'm here. I'm going to shut up until they hit the ground. Or are you just like, I'm not going to say a word until they hit the ground and I know where they're going to commit. And then I'm going to try to work them then. Like, where do you fall on that spectrum? I hate to always plead the the gray area, but I'm going to plead the gray area one more time. So I think it, I think it largely depends on the pre-scouting that I've done. And also like just a situational aspect of, okay, well, if I'm going to be in a spot and I'm going to be there, if it's going to be a half an hour past sunrise, I'm not going to wait that long to make my first call. Right. But also, if I make my first call, I'm not going to make it like a just a, burp, 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 you know, where you're trying to like 
hammer out there like you're trying to call to a bird that's yep. two three yards away. I think if your birds are quiet, you're putting, you're yelp, you know, you just your your slow play atmosphere that you're trying to create with those birds are going to be more advantageous to what you're trying to assimilate to a re, you know, reality. I think in the reality of the situation, if those birds are just like firing up and going at it, like you got to match their intensity. You got to, you got to meet them with where they're going to be um, from an emotional standpoint. And I think that's the, that's the big thing that I try and focus on. If I don't hear anything, I tend to go soft because if, if nothing else is firing up and I know I'm in Turkey woods within like a mile square of me where I should hear a gobble and there's no wind if a bird's not gobbling, it's likely for a good reason, whether that's weather, barometric pressure, whatever you want to call it. If a bird's not gobbling, a bird's not gobbling. So I'm right. not going to sit there and just like, you know, drum it up and drum it up and trying to create something that's not there. Yeah. And that's, it's the question I have every time I sit down on the base of a tree, you know, in the morning sitting up on birds. It, and I, you got to play the situation. Um, typically if I can't get in within the bubble, like I said, 70, 80 yards, I'm, if I can't get in with that bubble, I'm going to let them, let them know that I'm there with just a soft, like Yelp, you know, just a soft one, give them one or two. And then I shut up. Yeah. Um, a little if, purr in action will do a yep, lot. Yep. In that situation. A yelp or just a purr, you know, just a, hey, I just woke up, just a, you know, I can't do it with my mouth, but you know what I mean. Um, oh, yeah. If I'm in that bubble, I don't see a damn thing. You know what I mean? I like to see what way those birds are going to pitch out and see how, I'll, like, I'll assess the situation. Like, what are they going to do? Like, once they're on the ground, what are they doing? Are they immediately strutting? Are they gobbling on their own? Are they going to, if, you know, typically I have a decoy 97% of the time. Like, I like running decoys. Um, so, they see the decoys. Did I did it scare them? Like, I like to see their first initial reaction. Like, what are they going to do? What's the demeanor? Read the bird and then go from there. But if I can't get in that bubble, I got to, my my head just tells them, tells me that I need to let them know I'm there. That's That's where I'm at with it. I mean, at the same time, if you don't let them know, and if they haven't let you know, if you don't make an effort, you're never going to know if they are there. Exactly. They can still, they can still shut up and be totally quiet. I've had that happen before. You know, totally pull rank on the situation and leave, and all of a sudden you're you're driving around and they're like, oh shit, there they are. Like, where the hell did those assholes come from? Right. Yep. It's definitely happened before, but at the same time, it's like. That's that's where the whole like you know come back to the whole like start of the the podcast with like the public land turkey hunting. It's like I can afford to blow out a public land sit every now and then as long as I like you know hope and pray that nobody else is doing the exact same thing that I'm doing. Right. I have a little bit more liberty to be able to do that and chase public land birds around you know two or three counties and you know seven or eight stands of public land than I do if I, you know, try to blow them out of my public or, you know, my private land at my house. Yep. So I think like that's, that's like at, at the core why I love public land hunting in and of itself is because there's no, like, 
requirements or there's no like this is it has to be done this way or this you know if it if it's not done this way it's going to be screwed for the entire season like you can you can basically make your destiny and and how successful or how unsuccessful you want to be it just depends on how eager you are to get yourself and and to put yourself in that situation for sure man well we're at an hour right now um i got one last question for you before we wrap up so anybody out there that, that's listening to this, they might be like new turkey hunters or turkey hunters that are just trying to like up the game a little bit better. What is one thing you would say to them to to maybe like think about or maybe that they might learn? Um, just a quick hitter, elevator pitch, like this is one thing that I've done in the past that's really helped me be more successful. Like what would you say to them? I would say to them, calling is a turkey hunter's success and failure so what i would try to assimilate to is find the area of turkey calling that you excel at the best so not everybody can blow on a diaphragm and not everybody can use a box call or vice versa or a push button call experiment with your calls because if you can't make a turkey drum up and you can't make them you know make some noise and yelp out and, and, you know, cackle on and carry on and trying to get in touch with his hens, you're going to lose a lot of interest in it. But if you can get that ability to actually happen, you're going to, you're going to drive that like, Oh, yep, I'm doing this right. I'm doing something. Okay. I would say that figure out what your, what your most likely like range of success is. And then when you hit that, stay with that, because if you're doing it successfully, you're probably going to be likely that you can kill a bird doing it that way. It may not be that year or the next year, but you're going to have, you know, some way of a situation that you're going to put yourself in front of a bird and then build off of that. Yep. Dude, give, yourself, give yourself a platform of success. If you try to build yourself up for this perfect platform of success where you go out there and you're just like – the first time I'm going to turkey hunt, I'm going to set up on the roost and I'm going to, he's going to drop down in 50 yards. He's going to walk into my decoys and I'm going to kill him. Sadly, it's going to, it's going to not work out that way. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that those birds are smarter than us. Yep. They, that they live in that woods. They live in that field. They live in that farm all the time. If something doesn't smell right, hear right, smell right. It doesn't matter. They're going to be gone. Yep. I am going to echo that, but I'm also going to add on to that before we we break here. And mine would be learn how to read a bird. Learn how to read um, a tom turkey because. And this didn't happen to me until later in my turkey hunting adventures. But like learn, like last year I had a bird that we caught up to mid mid morning. Like I want to say it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. I can't remember my buddy Tyler and I heard a lone bird in the back of my property. And I'm like, we, we both were like, he's by himself. Like we can't overcall this bird. Like you just, you just let him know you're there and then let him get curious. So if you can learn how to read a bird in different situations, you're deadly. You're deadly. And I'm not an expert at it at all. I'm still learning at it. Like I'm, I'm green when it comes to it. So I would say that would be my like advice. Like learn how to read a bird, the time of day, in that situation. 
he just like we were just sitting there at my cabin on the porch and we we're like do you just hear that as a gobble it was like 10 o'clock in the morning it's like you know it's been daylight for five hours you know and it's like that's that's weird let's yeah but that but that bird is looking for some right exactly there. exactly that was a locator call of like hey where's the hens at you know what I mean? So we got our stuff. We went back there, and we're like, all right, let's listen again. He hammered again by himself. I threw a freaking just a little purr and a, and a little cackle at him, and he hammered. I'm like, okay, set up. He's coming. And it yep. was like, and we did a live podcast. That was the live <laughs> podcast bird in the blind, set up the decoys, and uh, it's going to be on my YouTube channel here soon and so everybody can see it. But we did a live podcast in the blind, as this bird's coming in, and it's crazy. I I maybe hit the call five times, maybe. You know what I mean? And he just worked right in and beak me. <laughs> no, you know, and it's funny you say that. You know, if I was going to choose a a second thing to request, it would be exactly what you said. And I had a bird on public one time. I killed um, about a quarter mile from my house, and it was the same situation. I, I drummed the bird up early in the morning off the roost and he went down with hens and it was just like, I was disappointed and you know, whatever else. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and you know, nothing is, nothing is very eager. Nothing is very ecstatic happening right there. And I, I take a little March and I go out and all of a sudden, boom, I drum up a bird and it's like 1145 and I'm like, okay, this is, this is pretty cool. And I, I wait a couple minutes and I'm, I'm kind of listening and trying to pinpoint where he's coming from. And I, a little call again, and he hammers right back and he's like half as close as it was. Oh yeah. Okay. Like it's, it's game on. Here we go. I set up, I got down on the ground. I, I mean, I got in a prone position. I even set a decoy up at this point. I didn't have time. He strutted right out in the open, came out looking pow, put him right down. Oof. But it's like at, at the same time, that bird I knew was, was like, okay, where's the hen at? Where's the hen yep. at? Like, you know, somebody else has got a hen over here that you're, you're telling me that I'm like, I got a hen over here. I'm going to come in there and join the party. And it's like, y- you couldn't hit it better on the head. Like, yeah. read, the bird, read the bird, read the bird, know the surroundings, read the bird. And get in those situations. And, and if I were you, I'm talking to everybody out there listening. If you're trying to like learn from our experiences, be aggressive like fail, you know, it like, like just fail and you're going to learn. I remember, <laughs> and, and, and this is the, th- uh, I was going to lock this up, but I will say this was in 2010. It was like 12 years ago. My girlfriend, my wife now, her and I went out and roosted a bird. She was on the gun and he was a lone gobbler. Okay, and this is, I was, I was like, if there's a level before green, that's where I was at this point. And he flies down into the field. We're on a field edge. He's out there 150 yards, goblin, goblin, goblin. I'm calling back, calling back, calling back, calling back, gobble, gobble, gobble. And I'm like, what the hell? Why is he not getting any closer? Honestly, what had happened was I got sick of calling. And I'm like, he's not going to come in. I gave it literally like eight to 10 minutes. And that bird was at six feet. I never called. 
And he just was like, okay, she's not calling back. I got to go find where she went. He came right to us. Pow. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that taught me so much. Like, just shut up. You know what I mean? I've been busted by birds doing the exact same thing that you're talking about. Overcalling, overcalling, stopping. Why did they stop calling? Where are they at? And then you try to make a move, and oh boy, there he is, right there at fifty-five yards. You know, string necking out, like looking, yep. like, "Hey, what are you, what are you doing right there, dude?" <laughs> it's yes. Like, oh, so what I mean it. by being aggressive is like get into situations like as much as you can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't overcall every time, but if it takes you overcalling to learn, do it. You know what I mean? No. Like, and 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 that's the biggest piece of advice that I would give to any public turkey land hunter is out there is I would say current state we are I would say under under hunted as far as what I would say is there's not a ton of turkey hunters out there in relation to the amount of birds like mm-hmm. we have a ton of birds we give out one tag at least in Michigan you know you can afford on public land to test trial out your theories your processes you roost birds, you do this tactic, you know, whatever else you can, you know, generally drive within 35 minutes to an hour and you, you can hit a handful of other opportunities for birds. Yep. So you can experiment quite a bit and use that to kind of build your knowledge, build your assets, build your, you know, whatever skill set that you may be trying to, you know, acquire for public land hunting. Yep. Couldn't agree more, man. Even that even kind of goes with private too. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. you know, anything you guys can learn, and I'm like I said, I'm learning like crazy. So, but dude, let's let's wrap this up because I know you and I how we get together and start drinking some beers and we'll we'll talk forever. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if we don't wrap it up, we're gonna be here. Our wives are gonna be like, "What? Just keep it down out there. You're waking the kids up." <laughs> so. It's, it's very true. But, uh, dude, I appreciate you coming on. And I'm going to hold you to coming up here in May. Uh, you guys need to kill out, come up here in May, and maybe we'll do some turkey hunting around here. Like if I haven't killed oh. or anything like that, let's do some turkey hunting around here. 100%. I already sent him a text when we were in the the low point of our conversation. Just said, hey, dude, we need to, we need to travel up to Aaron's place, do a, do a podcast, you know, preferably after we both killed public land birds because that would be better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll drink a lot of beer that night too. <laughs> we do that anyways, but it would be, you know, even that more enjoyable. So Hell yeah, man. Well thank you very much for coming on and uh let's make that work in May and and now it's on the record, so we have to make it happen. So he's gotta do it. So I'm I'm committed. I'll I'll get him lined up. There you go, man. I appreciate it. Good luck this spring and uh I know I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate being on again and uh being able to chat with you. Yeah. My pleasure, buddy. And there you have it, Matt. Thank you very much, dude, for coming on and uh, bullshitting with me, man, and talking public land turkeys. That was awesome. So, guys, thank you for all the support and all the downloads. Remember, go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave a written review. Give me some feedback on social media. Tell me if you like uh, having two episodes a week. Next week, I'm not sure if I will have two out. For sure, there will be one. I'm going to be in Kentucky turkey hunting so i don't know if i'll be able to get the friday one out but we'll see maybe you guys will be lucky so thank you guys for all the support and don't forget we'll be right here next week on the fall podcast
out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.